Welcome to the Law of Startups podcast. I'm Mike Schneider. And I'm Joe Wallen. Thank you very much for being with us. Today, we're lucky to have in the studio Katie Chase. Katie is a uh, longtime member of the Seattle startup community, has been involved in a lot of different things around town, and uh, has, has some interesting ideas about, you know, stuff. Katie, welcome to the show. Thank you. <laughs> Happy to be here. So, Katie, how long have you been in Seattle? Uh, 12 years, oh, so since pretty, 2005. Yeah, you came, did you, you came out from, like, Ohio or? From Chicago. Chicago. Okay. Seattle seemed like a sweet, small, friendly town compared to Chicago in, yeah. t- in 2005. Yeah, and so. You said seemed like. Did, did, did it turn out to be? Did it turn out to be everything yeah, you expected? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it seemed like, and it, yeah, that's... And it was for me. I, I feel like it's more what has happened in the last 12 years doesn't seem quite so small anymore. Yeah, no, I think that's true. Yeah, because that's and that's really when uh, I'm not sure when I'm not sure when to mark exactly the date on which Amazon started transforming Belltown, but maybe it was around 12 years ago. I, I don't you know I don't know the exact date. Yeah, but, I have to say though that uh, it's still not Chicago traffic. I think yeah. it's mostly bellyache compared to Chicago traffic. So I still have that as a sort of general benchmark. Yeah, yeah. So okay. So, yeah, I grew up in Los Angeles, and uh, yeah, people complain about traffic, and I just, yeah. you know, roll, roll my eyes because it's never near, nearly as bad as yeah. it could yeah, be. Yeah, there's a different order of magnitude of traffic, especially in, in L.A. than there is up here, for sure. Yeah, L.A. wins over Chicago. Easy. Hands down. Yeah. It's, well, it's so, crazy. Okay, so tell yeah. us about this. So you came out to Seattle. Did you have it in mind you were going to work for early-stage companies? What were you thinking when you, when you came out here? What were you doing? That's a good question. I was a healthcare practitioner when I moved out to Seattle in 2005. And really, part of the reason I wanted to move out here is because natural healthcare, wellness, et cetera, wasn't totally woo. And in Chicago, I mean, to get my first license as a practitioner, I had to. I had to go to the office and sign out the same form as the street vendors did to get their license. Ooh. And I thought, and I had to get fingerprinted by the FBI. And I thought, that is a problem. <laughs> so do you think there's more rigor in, the, in this community in Seattle than there is in the Midwest? <laughs> well, I think it's just more accepted here okay. in general. Um, you know, okay. I just didn't feel like a weirdo here. Okay. I mean, there are like 13,000 licensed massage practitioners in the state of Washington, for one. Um, and also, natural healthcare, whether it's naturopathy or acupuncture or massage, is on insurance here. Right. I mean, you can bill insurance. So it's just a completely different level of accepted. And so I wanted to start a practice in a place where I wasn't up against this whole cultural you know, are you part of the woo camp? I'm like, no, I'm part of the maybe your life could be better with lower intervention camp. <laughs> so, um, okay. but okay. I really wanted to move here and start my own business, yeah. basically. Okay. And so that's what I was excited about. Oh, well, fun. That's really, okay. So tell us the kind of the progression of events and kind of how you wound up where you are now and what you're doing now. Okay. Just your life story, in a, just like a very short, you know, synopsis of it. Okay. <laughs> 45 seconds, roughly. Yeah. Okay, so I moved to Seattle in 2005, started my own business, and I met a whole bunch of really talented practitioners who um, wanted to teach their specialty and who just couldn't fill up their classes. Hmm. So I thought, 
okay, well, I'm pretty tech savvy. I could start a business and start a website and help them sell and book their classes. Hmm. So I started my first, what became, you know, was targeting as a startup what really was more like a small business because I never figured out how to scale it. Um, online marketplace to sell continuing education, which hmm. I felt like had a huge, huge market capability because anybody with a healthcare license, pretty much coast to coast, has to do continuing education to keep their license. Right. So who are selling those authorized continuing education classes? I wanted that to be me. Yeah. And so, um, you know, put up the website, hire the teachers. I mean, it's a two-sided marketplace, making sure that you're, you know, have good teachers, et cetera. And about a year into that, the market crashed. Hmm. So this is like 2008. Right. And nobody takes CE when the market crashes because they don't have any clients. Right. <laughs> so that, you know, that was a big learning and quite a crash. But it, but it kind of started the bug for getting more into startups. Right, right. So, um, <laughs> you know, so go from there and I went to grad school and then I started working with the startup weekend team and then, you know, joined a couple startups and so here we are. Here we that, are. I think that was longer than 45 <laughs> seconds. Okay, but talk about this, talk about this thing you picked up, I guess, in grad school, this, this, uh, this philosophy of, this philosophy of, oh, how, how do you describe it? Okay, I know what you're talking about. We'll bring, we'll bring the listeners into this. Yeah. So, my operations class in grad school, in an MBA, was learning Toyota Kata management. And so we were charged with doing a personal project through the lens of that framework. Which so, I'll say so, so back up for a second, though, for people who don't know, this Toyota Kata management thing, what, I mean, what is that? Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's huge, right? It's a lot of things. But it's also at a baseline level, a philosophy of management that says the people doing the work know best how to do the work. And leadership... Um, you know, above them, managers above them, their primary job is to lower barriers so that those people can do better work. Okay, and, and this came out of like some management, you know, guru. Who was that? Was it Deming? Is it Deming? Yeah. Okay. Edward Deming. Okay. Right. So, um, I mean, I think I should know more about Edward Deming. I feel like I've read his work and I haven't read a lot about him, but I think he's coming at this from a professor and a, and a student of work and how we do things. So he kind of codified something that didn't have a name yet. And he went to the American car manufacturers and said, hey, I think I think this would help you build better cars. I mean, this is um, production on demand, basically, versus, you know, make 45 red cars and put them in a lot and hope that people want red cars. So it's, it's inverting how you're managing your supply chain and all of that. Yeah. And they yeah. said, no thanks. No thanks. We're so all it was over adopted it. by the the Japanese car manufacturers, Honda yeah. and Toyota. Well, yeah. So Toyota first. So Toyota said, "Okay, we're game," and so he worked with them for a long time, and they changed how they manufactured cars. And I mean, if you look at the car manufacturing over time, I mean, they they totally took over primarily because of his work. Huh. Interesting. Wow. And then the That's other car manufacturers said. Okay. Okay, we're paying attention. We have we have lots full of trucks and cars that oops, nobody wanted red or nobody wanted blue or nobody wanted that exact feature. So right. maybe we should ask the customer first what they want before we go build it. Right. Yeah, so this is like <laughs> So Mike, I don't know if you ever, ever read any Deming. No. 
Can you hear me? Yeah. No, no. I haven't read that. Yeah. Well, tell me about yeah. it. But we, but you've probably read like, or, or I mean, uh, the the agile startup. You know, Eric, Eric. I mean, Reese's book. I mean, that's sort of a just a follow-on or a sort of a sequel hmm. or something. I, you know. I think we need to delineate between Eric Reese's lean <laughs> and Edward Deming's oh, sure. lean. For sure. People oh, in the lean sure. camp are secretly bristling, and they're like, oh, my God, if Katie doesn't delineate this, we're writing her off forever. Oh, for sure. But, I mean, it's a similar school of thought in some sense. In the sense that you need to ask the customer, and you need to iterate, and you need to learn fast. But, like, Deming lean is not the same as Understood. Reese lean. Understood. Understood. Okay, but but... But we've had like this sort of evolution of like best thinking about uh, business practices that's evolved over time. And, you know, Deming was early to the game. And, yeah. But there have been a lot of people subsequent to him. And people are always trying to figure out, well, how to, how to, how to do things more intelligently, how to run business more intelligently, how to, yeah, if you, can, if you can close off a lot of the inefficiencies, you can actually maybe run a profitable business. But it's sometimes really hard to know how to do that. And it's hard to know how... How, how you're doing relative to what your peer peer companies are doing and how they're managing things and yeah absolutely so it's it's difficult running a business is difficult so. yeah yeah absolutely I mean I think part of the project is figuring out what what the goal is what's the right goal what should I be shooting for and then how do I achieve it you know even if I know who my target customer is maybe I don't know how to get to them for instance right right so this this Continuous improvement and Deming's work is about making a guess on a goal that you know that you think is right, and then doing whatever you need to get there to achieve that goal, and then making an assessment about in and ra- doing this in relatively rapid as quick yeah as quickly as possible. I mean, you know, if the if just yeah, Mike. Does that mean the goals have to be relatively small? I mean, what's is is the is this about setting more intermediate goals rather than setting, you know, far out goals that are hard to assess? Yeah. Like what is it what does that goal setting process look yeah, like? Yeah, I I think that's a great question. I mean, in a perfect world, the goals can be assessed fairly quickly. Right. I mean, maybe the overarching goal is we need more revenue. But that's not measurable, right? You can't it's like, okay, today I'm going to produce more revenue. I mean, there are going to be a whole bunch of smaller things that lead up to that, right? So maybe um Maybe I have 15 guesses about what could produce more revenue. Maybe I'm going to um, ship a new um, version of the product today. Maybe I'm going to call 10 potential business partners today. Maybe I'm going to, um, you know, whatever, talk to my deli manager about this and see what his problems are and if that's related to the product I'm producing, whatever. So, um the goals in this are something that can hopefully be measured within a day or so. Oh, that's soon. Okay. Yeah, so that you're 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 making quick rounds, right? Like, if I make ten calls, what does it produce? And I can measure that at the end of the day. Like, nobody even picked up my nobody even picked up my phone call. Okay, what did I learn from that? Maybe I need to continue tomorrow. Maybe not. But then they're going to add up to that bigger goal. I mean, you need things that are measurable. Right. And and sounds like don't spend more time than you should on things that aren't working. Like just like determine early whether the thing you're working on is potential, and then and then abandon it if it's not generating yeah, the results exactly. that you want. Is that so, so that you don't waste you know three weeks on a on a on a possible way to improve sales, and then find out after three yeah. weeks that it's not yeah not I mean, great. So if a manager, you hmm. know, let's say the 
let's say the, the head of sales or the head of whoever is coming at this like, hey, it was just asked of me that I increase sales by 10%. Um, in this system, in a basic way, that person would go to the team and say, like, you guys, we need to bump this up 10%. What do you need from me to help you increase sales? It's like, oh, you need a new headset? Oh, you need a new, f you need me to pay your phone bill? Um, you need me to cater in dinner so that we can call after work hours? Okay, that's, that's measurable and a quick, and a quick return time, right? Like, let's just see if we pound out 40 calls tonight and I cater in dinner. Let's just see what we get by tomorrow. And you can make faster iterations. Hmm. So you've been deploying this methodology at your current project. Hmm. Yes. So I'm excited to be working with PackageGuard, a small, smallish team. We are probably 10-ish. We are three people in the office and then a whole bunch of other you know, folks specializing in other places, um, engineering, design, et cetera. Right. And so I find myself in B2C hardware and manufacturing in China and all of these things. How, how fast can I learn, which is interesting. I mean, from a, typically from a service, um, providing service, you know, historically even just like providing continuing education classes, or then um, the last project I worked on working in a SaaS, you know, an app, right? It's like you can make an iteration and you can ship it in five minutes and I can go test it and I can see if anybody pushed the button that I was trying to get them to push. I mean, I can, we can fix that in an hour and you can't fix hardware in an hour. Right. Although, you know, there are pros and cons of that, right? I mean, because I, I mean, I don't think people have a, especially in the sort of consumer app context, and Mike, you have a lot better feel for this than I do, obviously, because you sell consumer-facing apps, but I mean, I think people... I don't know if people enjoy being iterated on a lot. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I think people initially choose an app because they think they're going to enjoy an experience, and then they either enjoy it or they don't. But if they're not enjoying it, uh, I'm not sure if you're going to improve the situation if you if you push a bunch of iterations at them in fast succession. But but who knows? I mean, but I get your point about manufacturing. I mean, it's a longer. You've got to plan something, and you got to um, your guesses better be a little, I guess, better thought out because you're going to commit. Uh, money to producing something and manufacturing something. And I think that's actually one reason why people get, um, at least that's a, one of the kind of current statements about the angel investment community in Seattle, which is that, well, they, they love software startups, but not hardware so much. Um, whereas in the Bay Area, maybe you get a bit more hardware you know, backers. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, we're working in an area that there, there's no question that there's a problem. Um, I mean, you know, millions of packages, like 11 million packages were stolen off yeah. people's porches so, last year, right? So, so the problem exists. The question is, how do we create a solution that people care about? Sure. So Mike, just so you know, if you don't know, um, package guard is this thing. You buy it, you put it mm -hmm. on your porch, okay? Uh, so this is, this is where great for you on Bainbridge Island, because uh, there's yeah, there, of it's like it's like, there, a, right it's like a <laughs> war zone here. It's just constantly people... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, Bainbridge Island is sort of like the. It's kind of like the. Uh, you know, it's it's. Yeah, it's like the. Yeah, yeah, no, no, There's there, we have no package theft, like zero, zero package theft. Zero package. Yeah. Okay, yeah. But, but but you know <laughs> that's an unusual scenario. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so anyway, you put package card on your on your porch. And it's really cool. You like turn it on, and then when 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 you know Walmart or whatever UPS, FedEx or whoever it is drops your package on the package guard, 
And I take it the people who are delivering the package will packages, I mean, they will see the package guard and know what it, they're supposed to put the packages on top of it yeah. somehow. It says place packages here. Okay. And it's, it's substantial enough that like, because you could see somebody maybe putting their package guard somewhere and then the box is not being placed on the package guard. Maybe. Yes. Maybe. This is a risk. This is a risk. This is a risk of your We hope that business. the instructions that say place packages here, we're hoping that. But it's not a huge device too. Right. But in any event, you put the pack, once the packages are placed on the package guard, if anyone removes them, that's not the right person. Yeah. What does it do? Owner, that thing sets off an alarm. It like starts this really obnoxious blaring, wakes up the whole neighborhood. Huh, that's <laughs> it's cool. Like, it's really, is it's that really right? a neighbor making, you know, device. Well, I know, I know. Yeah. I, was, I was, if I lived in a neighborhood where packages were stolen, I'd be, I'd be appreciative of my neighbors having these devices on their porches because presumably, it will, presumably the thief will see that the thing is on an electronic device of some kind that it's beeping. Well, can they see it or does it cover does it up? Like it? when a package is. Yeah, no. Does the thief know? It doesn't get covered up. It, um, I mean, it's about the size of a frisbee. Let's call it two and a half inches tall. And so the package gets put on it. I mean, so if you, you know, if you didn't take a careful look, you, no, you would notice that the package was elevated off the off the porch. A little bit. Right, you, right. I mean, you know, if you're a first time a thief encountering a package guard for the first time, you don't know what it's sitting on. You might not know. And so, You'll learn quick. Okay, you're gonna—it's gonna be a hundred decibel alarm drawing attention to you. So, so do you? I mean, do you? Um, I mean, how many times is this? Have, I mean, how many instances of these things going off per day do you have, or do you know, or do you track that data, or just hear stories from customers? Or? Yeah, we have that on the back end. We're not publishing that yet, but what we want to do, and and what the associated app also lets you do, is invite your neighbor. So it actually, um, yeah, the noise going off might be not uh overly neighborly friendly but the app lets you invite your neighbor to get your alerts actually hmm. so i mean i'm actually being serious that we hope that this is a way to build up neighborhood awareness yeah you know if my alarm is going off and your phone uh flips up with a notification that says you know katie's package guard alarm is going off it's like oh then you know what that noise is maybe you're gonna look out your front door hmm. and try and figure out what's going on so it's an IoT device. So you built a cool IoT device. It's basically yeah. what you got here. Yeah, yeah. You also have the ability to walk over and turn off the alarm so that you can pick up the app or pick up the package, right? So maybe right. it's like, hey, I can't get home until 7 o'clock, and we all just got a notification that my new camera arrived. You know, can you walk over and pick that up for oh, me? Oh, that's nice, yeah. That's a great idea. Did you ever see that thing? There was a thing on the Internet where um, somebody had rigged up a package on their doorstep that was uh, it was like a fake package. And then it had like a shotgun shell inside of it that was wired up to like, a, I don't know, some kind of a pull, like a string pull. So when somebody picked up the box, the shotgun shell went off. I mean, not not like with no, no, like uh, shell, like no uh, uh, buckshot in it or anything, but it would make like a, a massively loud explosion noise. And uh, and then he had a camera set up. So you could just like get the look on on the the thief's faces when they picked up the package and they heard the shotgun go off. It's, it's oh, great. That's, that's, <laughs> it's just uh, kind of like this, but yeah, for everybody. Like home Alone, right? You know, and then the tar and then the feathers and. Nice, you know. yeah. Home Alone was a good movie. I mean, I think. Yeah, I have to say that I have heard every version of that on our Facebook page about oh, yeah. how we could make this much more exciting and it's what more we exciting. could put in fake packages including you know things that smell or things that explode or your lawyers have advised you against this yeah that's pretty much my response is you should 
talk to your local law enforcement about whether that's a good idea to put that on your porch. Right. It sounds absurd, but if you did scare a thief really badly and he ran out in the street and got run over, he'd probably sue you. <laughs> I mean, I don't know, Mike. I have no idea. I've not thought about this, but I mean, whatever. It's it's a fun thing to think about, but until someone gets hurt and then... Yeah. We are positioned hope to position ourselves much more in the strong deterrent camp and the community awareness you know if everybody's sharing in the app like you you know let's say five folks at the end of a block have this on their porch and you all get each other's notes you know and you have a theft problem in your neighborhood you're gonna pretty quickly figure out what's going on um and we hope to pair it with a camera in particular so that you know if the alarm is triggered then we can also take a picture and or like maybe you already have a ring doorbell or something like that that's gonna get that person on camera so so then, in addition to working at the school company and trying to deploy these principles, these management principles at that particular company, you also you also help other people. You also advise, consult. Uh, you do a walking, a walking sort of coaching thing. Yeah. So I'm I might be kind of an obsessive walker, to tell you the truth. Yeah. Um, I mean, my back to the grad school piece just momentarily. Yeah. My personal project to learn the Toyota Kata management was we we were charged with doing this in a, at a personal project just to say that and so my personal project I needed to pick something that I thought wasn't really attainable um, but that would serve me just in my general life and so my goal at that time was to exercise an hour a day which sounded absurd just given how much was on my plate and um, you were working and going to school I was working yeah, running two of my own businesses, going to school, consulting in D.C. one week a month. You know, it was just... So you're, busy, you're super busy, and one hour a day felt like, I don't know how I'm going to ever get that done. Yeah, I don't know. I really don't know how I would get that done. And so, um, you know, walking through the process of real and perceived barriers, it was like, okay, do I... Well, what's, what, what do I want to do for that exercise in a day? And... I pretty quickly got to walking because I could do it from anywhere in theory, no matter where I was, and traveling a lot because one of my businesses, you know, was this continuing education business, right? So I was who knows where at any given time. It's like, okay, well, I can walk wherever I am. So then I listed all just barriers that I believed to be true that may not be true, right? Like I didn't have the right shoes, I don't have a raincoat, I don't know the neighborhood, I don't have time, whatever. Right. And worked with a coach who, would say, okay, what are you testing? So this gets back to the how quickly can you test something? So it's like, well, I didn't really have, you know, walking shoes. Okay, can you bring walking shoes to work tomorrow? Yes, okay, brought, I'm thinking of, I was in DC at one time. It's like, okay, I brought walking shoes to work for lunchtime tomorrow. So we talked after lunch, I mean, this is 24 hours later, after lunch, did you bring walking shoes to work? Yes, and did you go for a walk? No. Okay, so bringing walking shoes wasn't the real barrier. And so fast forward, probably only about four or five days through as many things as I could think of that I, quote, believed were real barriers. And the answer was that I just needed to schedule it. So, okay, so the coach, was this a fellow student? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the principals, was acting as your yeah, coach? Yeah, yeah, right. So we were, in, hmm. we were in this class, and we were all sort of round-robin coaching each other. Okay, that's a cool experiment. It's a fun thing to do. Yeah. So put you in the role of the coach as well as a student? Right, right, right. So I was coaching someone else, you know, and helping them. And so my friend Scott was coaching me. And so, yeah, in a couple of days I got to, wow, I pretty much just need to put it on the calendar, which wouldn't be everyone's answer, but it was the answer for me. Like if I just 
block out three o'clock, then I'd say I'd love to continue this conversation at 4.01 p.m. See you then. You know, I just, if the calendar tells me to do it, it that, that works for me. And so last year when I wanted to take a break, <clears throat> excuse me, just from general life, I, I know this about myself with the calendar. And so I canceled everything on the calendar in June and I bought a ticket to Spain and I walked the Camino de Santiago. Wow. So I... How many hundreds of miles? 500 miles. Wow. In 33 wow. days. And that was really fun. It was amazing. Yeah. And hard. Wow. So how many people do you know in Seattle who've done it? Actually, Seattle has one of the biggest um, communities. So people who walk this are pilgrims because it's a pilgrimage. Yeah. So I really self-identify with pilgrim these days. Yeah. And I think there are over 900 people in, in the Seattle. Northwest wow. who That's do great. this. Yeah. And so when I got home, I pretty much just wanted to keep walking. So I pitched a whole bunch of friends on, will you prototype with me a walking coaching business? Because I had previously done coaching with the HeartMath Institute and, and other organizations and just the training in grad school. And I thought, I pretty much want to walk and talk with people who want to do the next thing. They want to open that next door. They want to manage you know, those things that are in the way of doing what they say they want to do. Mm. And so walking kata was born as I named it kata yeah. coming out of that language tradition of this continuous improvement. Gotcha. So if people want to learn more about this uh, walking kata business, where do they find more information? Uh, you can find me online, walkingkata, K-A-T-A dot com. Okay. You can also just email me at walkingkata at gmail. Okay. Okay. And so this is, uh, so Mike, if you want to, if you want to do walking uh, with Katie and get coached on your business processes, this would be, this would be the thing to do. That's pretty cool. Yeah. 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 I like, do you have any other ideas for like, it sounds like you do a lot of walking, like um, ways to make that walking time productive. So like, I always find that like tr trying to find time to exercise is tricky when you're busy. I feel like I could, I can justify it more if I'm able to do something productive. Sometimes I can, I can do it, take a phone call while I'm walking or, yeah. or, um, or just listen to some good content, but you know, podcasts are great for that. But do you have any suggestions? Like what, what should people do if they want to make their walking time more productive in other ways besides just health? Yeah. 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 I think that's a great question. I mean, I think there are things, um, work that is, that's better done while walking to tell you the truth. I mean, if it's something linear, you know, I'm trying to, um, finish a document, I'm trying to send an email, whatever, obviously I need to be at my computer, you know, type it, send it. But if I need to, chew on something, if I need to do something non-linear, or also even if I need to talk about or figure out what to do next, I think it really helps when the body is moving, when you are out in the wild. You have to pause at a stoplight. You have to, you know, not get hit by the car that's coming. You have to pay attention to whatever. You, you have a full sensory experience. And um, that's what I like about walking with people from a coaching point of view. I mean, the idea of sitting across the table from them for 60 minutes while we talk about their most difficult things over a cup of coffee. I mean, first of all, you couldn't find a coffee shop in Seattle to do that in a confidential way. Um, but there's something great that happens when you're, when you're moving. In particular, walking infuses a pause, right? Like you just need a moment to, oh, look at that dog or look in the window or look at that amazing cake. Right, so when you're talking about hard stuff, you also build in these pauses and process time. Um, but 
you know, I mean, for me, part of the project was walking too. And I mean, when I was in Spain last summer, I pretty much turned off my phone. And uh, that's the most time I've not spent online since college. And it was, it was awesome. So when I'm walking here, I had to figure out how to try to replicate that a little bit now that I'm back sort of fully integrated, you know, Wi-Fi invades my life in every way. And what I figured out was to just turn my phone on airplane mode and set a timer for like, let's say 40 minutes so that I know it's time to, you know, turn on my loop and head back to the office. But so that I didn't have to keep looking at my phone to figure out what time it was. I mean, it sounds really minor, but for me, it, it was a really big deal to have an hour of not looking at a bright, shining screen so that I could just think. Yeah. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Mike, yeah. does that get to... Yeah, I think so. I think it's just, you know, kind of everybody has their own philosophy about why they would, why they would walk. Um, it, it sounds like for you, walking is a lot about disconnect and, and kind of resetting. Um, for me, I, I like to walk mostly... I don't know, just get the blood circulating. Cause sometimes you think better when, when you got your body moving. Um, but I, I do like to use that time. Like, like I feel like the walking is a very physical thing and I kind of like to engage my brain in something as well to, to distract from the, from the physical activity. <laughs> I don't know if that, that's, that's, that's a different, it's a completely different approach. Um, yeah, but I like to use that time to listen to, listen to books, listen to podcasts, nice. um, think about problems that I'm, that I'm working on. Yeah. Um, yeah, like to try to try to use that time somehow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I completely agree, and I, I'm I'm going to tune into one thing you said with the disconnect and say that I think the nervous system moves towards yes. I don't think the nervous system hears no. You know, it's like don't think about an elephant. It, it just hears think about an elephant. <laughs> yeah, like all we all, I think we all just pictured an elephant. <laughs> exactly, so, exactly. That's why you never say before <laughs> someone's golf swing. You know, don't think about shaking it. <laughs> Um, <laughs> or something like that. I mean, you, yeah. or if in any, you're supposed to see the, the thing you want to do yeah. to yourself, right? Yeah, so for me, walking is about connection um, with something that I really want to connect with, with myself, with nature, which with looking at the water, with thinking about that problem. But I, um, I mean, all of my work is trying to look for the next yes. And which I think is what you're saying. Um, and so I'm really just kind of, coming around Mike and saying like I agree like that's when I choose to walk as well when I want to when I want to do something hmm. that I think serves me better nice well this is great I mean uh, it's been fantastic having you on the show where can people find out more about uh, package guard and the, it sounds like the walking you have a website that, that deals that kind of talks about that uh, so point us to all the places where we can find out more yeah Thanks. So uh, I'm online at walkingkata.com, and uh, you can email me anytime, walkingkata at gmail. I love to go for a walk, um, as hopefully I <laughs> evidenced. Um, Package Guard is launching this fall. We are so excited. Um, we have demo units out there right now, V1, and we're getting V2 in probably less than two weeks. So we're online at Package Guard. Dot com. We are based in Pioneer Square here in Seattle, and um, you can email us at hello at packageguard.com or my name at packageguard.com, and um, we would, I would love to hear about anyone's package theft story and how they have tried to solve that, which really helps us figure out if we're on the right track with the way that we're choosing to try and help people solve it. So. Yeah, that's great. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. 
My pleasure. Yeah. yeah. Fantastic. Thanks well, Katie, th- Katie Chase, thanks for being here, and thanks everyone else for listening. Uh, we'll see you all next week.